Well, hey, whether you stumbled onto my podcast or you've been a longtime listener, I'm glad you're listening. What is this podcast all about? Well, it's about people just like me, just like you, about age 60, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, but you, like me, are trying to figure out how you're going to do life for this next 10, 20, 30 years. How are you going to stay healthy? What are you going to eat? Are you going to exercise? How are you going to do the things you really, really want to do in retirement? Uh, But most importantly, things that I think about go along these lines. How am I going to avoid assisted living? How am I going to maintain my independence? How am I going to enjoy life to its fullest until God says my time is done? Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello again, and welcome to the Pushing 60 Aside podcast. I am your host, Gene Fleming. I am a fitness trainer who started late in life with this particular vocation. And um, so, you know, when I'm getting ready to do a podcast, you know, this in this case, a, a couple of weeks have passed since my last one. And I can tell you at least a dozen different topics have floated through my mind, but um I want to keep the message always pertinent, always simple, always something that you can take a few nuggets away from and gnaw on them about what I say and how it might apply to your life, Uh, to think about things that maybe you should be doing, maybe some things you shouldn't be doing. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, a couple of things have happened um, in the circle of people that I know. And each time somebody has a health crisis, you know, it makes me kind of think in that in that vein for a while. And, uh, of course, I'm still teaching senior fitness classes, teach six of those a week, uh, aerobics, strength training, uh, balance work under the guise of a program called SAIL. SAIL stands for Staying Active and Independent for Life. Each class is about an hour long. And um, when I think about the average age in my classes being somewhere in the mid to upper 70s, uh, a lot of people in my hometown of Fort Payne, Alabama, are clearly uh, concerned about uh, taking good care of themselves as they age. Um, Here lately, uh, a few times, I've, I've talked to my classes and, and and I talk about a, a number of things, but always I try to have one specific point uh, when I address a, a, a group of people that are there to work out. Uh, they didn't come to hear me talk or lecture on, you know, protein choices or, um, you know, sleep or, but sometimes, you know, a small nugget, a pearl of wisdom, if you please, uh, that can you know, get them to thinking, you know, yeah, maybe I need to do that, do this, watch this, watch that, and 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 take that into my over, overall approach to my personal health and fitness. Um, I got some feedback this last few weeks uh, from some folks that have been going to uh, physical rehab and, you know, for different things. And these are people that are in my classes 
and um, they come back and say things like, well, Gene, do you know that um, the guy that's doing my rehab therapy for my shoulder, he has me doing exactly the same things we do in my class. And I'm going to take a break right here because I've got a little dog that has decided to show up and uh, he's going to go sit in the other room with his mother. I'll be right back. And after that brief intermission, we're back. Uh, and little Jasper Banks is uh, now sitting with his mama out in the living room. And I'm sure they're enjoying a movie or a television program together. Uh, he's generally pretty good, and he's usually sitting right here next to me during the recording, and he usually behaves. But tonight, like a little dog is apt to do, he had other things on his mind and other places in the house he would rather be. And like any good father, I spoiled him rotten, and um, so he got his way, and I'm okay with that because uh, now we can get on with the podcast so, in the intro, I was talking about things that people are telling me. You know, the, a couple of them have gone to rehab uh, for one thing or another, and they come back and they're kind of amazed that the exercises and the balance and strength and uh, other exercises we do in the class are very similar to what they get in their rehabilitative process at one of the physical therapy places here in town. Well, that gives me a high level of confidence in what we're doing because the time to rehab is not after the injury. Rehab is what we as people in our 60s, 70s, and 80s should be doing all the time. It's an ongoing process. And, um, you know, for instance, if I'm slacking off in my cardiovascular fitness, I know that if I want to keep my heart, lungs, and circulation in top-notch condition... I need to step up my game a little bit. And notice I said a little bit. I, I, don't, I don't need to add five hours of cardio in a single week. I just need to get some good quality cardio three to five times a week, you know. And I'm talking about 20, 30 minutes tops per day that I do that. Uh, once your heart is in shape and once everything's working pretty good, it, it just takes regular routine exercise to keep you at that level. Um, but if you miss a couple of weeks, uh, you may have to kind of build back up because you can gain it slowly and start losing it very quickly, especially if you have a bout with COVID or, or bronchitis or, uh, heaven forbid, right now, um, pollen, because we're at the peak of tree pollen season here in northeast Alabama. And uh, so if you hear me sniffle or snort during the podcast, guess what? I am not immune to pollen. Uh, I'm not immune uh, to a lot of things, but pollen uh, gives me a little kick every year about this time. And uh, and I have to take a antihistamine. And I, I go with a really simple one, just a basic loratadine. Uh, you can buy the generic version of it. It's uh, cheap. It's a tiny pill. It, it's good for 24 hours, and and uh, and I can afford it. So, hey, it's a win for me. Now, there could come a time when I need something a little stronger or, or you know, one of the other big-name brands. But, uh, you know, at $7 for a bottle of 60, I can afford these. And uh, since my wife and I both have to take it, um, 
you know, it's it's um, it's senior budgeting. That's what it is. It's good medicine that works for us, and that's all we need. So, uh, there. That's the name of that tune. So, but anyway, uh, anything like um, the pollen or uh, maybe ongoing issues of family stress or um, vacation, any of those things can disrupt your exercise. Of course it can. Uh, and uh, so if I get away from um, sufficient cardio, um, then I know I have to step up my game. If, if, uh, if I haven't been to an exercise class in a few weeks, uh, chances are that when I pick up the dumbbells and, and, and do the set, um, I may have a little soreness. Thanks to muscle memory, though, I can get back into it pretty quick because, yeah, we can lose some strength, but a lot of what we lose is comfort. And by that, I mean, you know, you get used to doing the things we do in aerobics and in strength training and in the stretching and all the things we do in class. Uh, stretching it should be a priority for everybody at every age, every day. And, uh, you know, so if you haven't been doing what we do in the classes and then you come back and I'm asking you to extend your uh, hands as far above your head as you possibly can. Well, if your shoulders haven't done that in two or three weeks because you were out sick or on vacation, we're going to have to get you limbered back up again. So that's enough about that. Some other things that have happened in the last couple of weeks that... Uh, you know, give me cause for pause and to think about what went on in this person's life, you know. Um, you know, one of my ladies had what may have been a mild stroke. Now, um, as a trainer, the first thing I think about when somebody in my class has uh, something like that come up and has to go to the hospital and be evaluated and have an MRI, things like that, when something like that happens... The first place my head goes is asking myself the question, and I think it's a fair question, and she may have asked herself this question, but did the thing that happened with her, was it caused by or exacerbated by exercise? I think it's a legit question. Did she push too hard? Uh, did her heart rate get too high. Well, having observed this lady um, for almost a year now, regularly working out three days a week with us, I think for her age, she was as fit as she could probably be. It's, it's not going to get significantly better, but she wasn't falling down, and she could do most of the exercises that we did and do them with relative ease. So the question I asked myself was, well, gee, man, did... Um, did something happen, happen in the exercise class that triggered a minor stroke in her that day? And because, you know, I don't want to be responsible for uh, causing injury or uh, anything like that to people that work out with me. And, you know, and everybody over 60 has some level of risk factor when it comes to good exercise. You know, maybe doing 15, 20 minutes of aerobics is impossible for some of them, hard for others, and a breeze for others. So, but um, maybe movements that involved lifting weights, uh, prolonged standing, uh, 
maybe those things are are more difficult for some than they are for others. But um, we kind of mitigate that with a strategy of of coaching as we teach. You know, I'll say if this hurts, don't do this. If you can't lift the weights fully over your head, lift them halfway or drop the weights and just go freehand and let your arms themselves be the weight. The movements are all good. So uh, this question about, you know, did the exercise cause the sudden um, symptoms of a possible stroke? And and I might add at this point, the the decision by the doctors has not been made whether she had a small minor stroke for sure, but she did have a little bit of speech impairment. And uh, as it was enough that her family noticed it, so they took her to the hospital and got checked out. Here's what I think. Let's go back a year ago when she started uh, being like clockwork working out with us. I know that in the previous 11 months or so, that everything that she did was safe, it was age-appropriate, and it was reasonable. You know, I don't, I don't ask uh, seniors in their late 70s and 80s to try something like jumping jacks. That's, that's not reasonable. I don't push them so hard that I press them to the point of exhaustion. Uh, that's not the goal. The goal is to stay strong where you can, get stronger where you need to, uh, sharpen your balance some, and uh, get your brain involved in the the physical game of your neural pathways communicating to feet and ankles and toes and knees and and fingers and 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 all of those things so that your level of functioning stays as sharp as it can that's that's it in a nutshell so here's what i think and this and uh, probably three dollars will get you a cup of coffee it used to be this and 50 cents or would get you a cup of coffee but these days this and three dollars will get you a cup of coffee here's what i think i am glad that this lady had been coming to exercise had been lifting a reasonable amount of weight to help her stay strong in her upper body that she'd been doing sufficient exercises with her lower body to keep it strong that the balance exercises we were doing were a way of hedging her bets against falling, stumbling, accidental falls. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, what I'd like to think is that having been in 11 months worth of exercise classes promoted her health rather than drew her down. If she had circulatory issues, the exercise helped some with them. If she had strength uh, issues, the weightlifting that we do and the legwork that we do uh, helped with that some. The balance work and other activities that we do helped her some. So she was in a almost a year's worth of exercise classes, and I think this may be speculation on my part. could be true. I'm not going to argue the point with my doctor, her doctor, with her, or with you. Um, what if 
the exercise that she'd been doing for the last 11 months was the reason she didn't have a major stroke. Hmm? Maybe she was less prone to clotting. Uh, maybe her blood pressure was more stable as a result of doing cardiovascular and strength training. So maybe this year of exercise kept her from having a really severe outcome when she had what may have been a minor stroke. I don't know. Even her doctors can't judge that. We can't say what might have been. What I do know is she hasn't fallen this year. So she didn't have that injury. So, you know, it's a it's a speculative process when we as people over 60, over 70, over 80 decide to start exercising. But one thing we know to be a fact is that if we do nothing, then the exercise doesn't have the possibility of helping us, of keeping us from getting weaker, uh, less able, shorter in breath, um, more prone to falls. If we don't do it at all, then we lose muscle mass, we lose coordination, we lose reflex speed, we lose flexibility in our joints and with our tendons. Uh, we lose the ability to lift everyday things. You know, uh, we just gradually get weaker and weaker. So is exercise still the right answer? Of course it is. Of course it is. And, 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 it's, and, and it starts where you are as a senior person. Um, right now I have two classes. My early class is, uh, is kind of a, uh, a, a class for people that are either just starting exercise or who have some level of limitation in what they can do and how long they can do it. Um, but May the 2nd, uh, both my classes will be mirror image. It'll be both classes will be an hour long. They'll both do 18 to 20 minutes of cardiovascular, and 10 minutes of upper body, 10 minutes of lower body, and about 10 minutes of uh, balance and other exercises plus warm ups and cool downs. And it's a good recipe for general fitness for people over, let's say, 65, uh, 60 to 65. Uh, in fact, the class doesn't even start for you unless you're at least 60. So if people will join a class like mine, whether it's Silver Sneakers, a program at the YMCA, or a sale program somewhere else around the country, you're going to get a package deal of exercise that's going to address your whole body, your brain's connectivity and ability to communicate with your whole body, your balance issues, and the strength of the front of your legs, the back of your legs, your balance, the strength in your shoulders and your arms. It's going to be a class that's going to help you in every dimension that you would need physically and, uh, you know, to, and, 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 and with your heart and circulation as well, to help you fight the fight toward healthy aging. And anytime our body systems improve, our strength improves, our cognitive process 
processes improve, our um, ability to cope, uh, you know, our ability to deal with even minor bouts of depression, and our social skills are kept intact, we have a better chance of fighting anything that comes at us, whether it's family stress or the common cold. It could be COVID-19. Who knows? Um, if we get injured, which could happen, a uh, little slip in the yard, a bruised knee, if we're in better shape, we're going to recover quicker if we're in shape, at least as in shape as we can be. We're not talking about transforming people in their 70s and 80s to be in bikini ready by May. That's never That never was the goal. It's not the goal now. Uh, the class is not about weight loss. But what if we just stay strong enough and healthy enough to continue living a quality life? If that can be said, even of this lady who possibly had a small stroke last week, if that can be said, then it's working. She's not getting worse. She had a little hiccup in the road, and I trust fully that she has learned the merits of the classes and that she'll be back as soon as she gets a green light from her doctor. At least I'm fingers crossed and prayers offered to, to see her back in class because both her and her husband uh, attend my classes and you know, they've been married for 59 years. <laughs> you know, they were getting married when I was five years old. That's a long time. So they come to the classes together. I think it's good for their marriage. And uh, and it's good, for, um, it's good for their life. It's good for their quality of life. It's good for their health. And of course, I believe in what I'm doing or I wouldn't do it. It'd be stupid for me to go down and try to teach something I don't believe in, but I really believe in this. So that's kind of my long extended intro about, you know, uh, and I could capsulize that by saying, hey, you, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't care if you're 20 years old or 70 years old, whatever you do in life, don't be sedentary. And if you've got a muscle that's supposed to have a function on your body, whether it's lifting or pushing or pulling, use those muscles on a regular basis. And if you have heart and lungs, try to get some cardio into the mix. It, I didn't say it had to be fun. I didn't say it had to be a lot of it, but get some into the mix because we all need to exercise. And just because we've hit retirement age, is not our ticket to sit in our favorite recliner and watch a lot of television. And, uh, you know, so. And so what did I talk to my class about in the last couple of weeks? Because I have to do a brief, and by brief, I mean far more brief than this podcast. Um, what do I talk to them about with regard to nutrition? And this is one of the things I was mulling over over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, great ideas for a podcast. But um, I'm just going to say the white stuff, you know, the white stuff. Yeah, the white stuff. And uh, mainly I'm talking about salt and sugar and how we get our salt and sugar on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about sugar, sugar, kiss, kiss. I'm talking about high fructose corn syrup, cane sugar, brown sugar, powdered sugar, white sugar, 
and any number of other names that you will see, cane syrup, sugar, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's still sugar, and our bodies reacts to it in the same way it always has. Now, one thing I, I don't want you to think is that I am completely anti-sugar. No, 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 I'm not. What I am against as a trainer is excessive sugar in the diet such that it jacks up your blood sugar to the point that you're having to play uh, insulin shuffleboard for hours on end and going through uh, energy crash crashes, um, you know, a couple hours after a high sugar meal and that you're just riding that roller coaster of your blood sugar all day long. So I'm going to talk about the white stuff pretty often, pretty often. And, you know, I got a guy's attention about two weeks ago when I told him uh, that, uh, you know, if you buy a bottle of Mountain Dew, a regular good old 20-ounce bottle of traditional Mountain Dew, a popular drink here in the South and other parts of the country, I'm sure. I don't know because I don't live in other parts. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, if you look at the ingredients on a bottle of regular Mountain Dew, you're going to see that uh, it has over 60 grams of sugar in it. Uh, what does that mean, 60 grams of sugar? I think the last one I looked at was like 59. It may have been 62 or 65. I forget. But And it's been some years since I've looked at a label. But, but I remember that 60 grams of sugar in this little 20-ounce bottle of soda. And then I got thinking, okay, it takes... Uh, Four grams of sugar is about a level teaspoon. Okay, four grams of sugar is about a level teaspoon. So that one 20-ounce bottle of, of beverage has somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or 16 teaspoons of sugar in it. And you would never, ever put 16 teaspoons of sugar on your, say, breakfast cereal or in your coffee, or anything else, but yet here's a popular soft drink. And, you know, regular Pepsi, regular Coke, not much different, not much different. So I talk about the white stuff, of course, sugar. And these days, especially if you're buying prepackaged foods, uh, box meals, and, you know, things like pizza, uh, spaghetti sauces, you know, you know, whatever you're buying, you've got to read the label and see what a serving size is and how many grams of sugar are in that. You know, even peanut butter has sugar in it. And so, um, you know, it's kind of hard to get an, uh, a sugar spike on peanut butter. But uh, if you ate a peanut butter sandwich and drank a milkshake, you just might. Or you ate a peanut butter sandwich and drank a Mountain Dew or Pepsi, you just might get a sugar spike. And so, you know, if I'm working with a, a, di a dieting client who's really serious about uh, losing body fat, I'm going to ask them to get no more than 40 grams of added sugar in their diet per day. So it's not like we've outlawed sugar. We're just saying, hey, you know, sugar is the, is the easiest fuel your body can burn. I mean, it's like the, the first thing your body's going, your body is lazy. It's going to grab the easy fuel first. 
All right, so the protein and fat are sitting over there in the in the wings. You know, they're going through the they're going through the the stomach and into the intestines for digestion and being broken down and all that stuff. But that sugar, your body just jumps on that right now because it's ready fuel. And uh, you know that's why athletes drink Gatorade, which is loaded with sugar, because it's immediate fuel to play uh, four quarters of football. Oh my gosh, I almost said four innings of football. You can tell I'm a sports fan. So the white stuff, uh, the other white stuff we talk about a lot because you know and I know and it just makes sense because you looked at your own parents, perhaps your grandparents, perhaps yourself. And if you haven't, if you're over 60 and you haven't seen a cardiologist yet, um, it's time. I'm just going to tell you, it's time. You need to start at your regular general practitioner with an EKG and uh, get your blood pressure checked out and, uh, and get in the care of a cardiologist so that you have a relationship with them. I use an interventional cardiologist, so he doesn't do heart surgery. But he can do a lot of other things, but mostly he monitors me. You know, that's the deal here. Um, he's a, a local cardiologist here. Of course he is, because I'm not going to drive 75 miles to, to see another cardiologist. But uh, we have a good working relationship. And, you know, he tells all of his patients who have some form of heart disease. It could be congestive heart failure. Uh, it could be high blood pressure. It could be... Um, um, AFib or something like that, you know, that's going on with them. The one thing that's standard in his advice is that no more than 1,500 milligrams, milligrams, not grams, 1,500 milligrams of salt per day, and that's it right there. And so what does a measure of salt look like? Just take your regular old salt shaker, get you a level teaspoon, Fill it, level it off, and that you got left in that teaspoon, that's about yeah, 2,000 to 2,200 milligrams of salt. And that is all the salt you're supposed to have in your body every day, all day long, from all sources. And so while we're talking about salt, I'll tell you this. Um, I use uh, Gatorade Zero. And to be honest with you, the reason I use it is because I get tired of drinking plain water. But even with that, I have to watch because what's in Gatorade Zero, it's water, flavor, and a couple of electrolytes, namely potassium and, you guessed it, salt. Sodium, right? It, it, that's what's in there. You know, it's, a, it's an electrolytic drink. And so I drink that. And reading the bottle the other day, or or I use powder packets of it, but uh, 280 milligrams of salt in that one packet that I'm going to make a, a half-liter drink with. Well, how, mu how much is that toward my daily total? Uh, 280, that's about a seventh, a sixth or seventh of all the salt I need in a 24-hour period. And if I make two or three of those a day... I'm now 750, 800 milligrams of salt. I've already gotten well over a third of my total salt needs for the day. But let's talk about daily dietary guidelines and needs. 
The human body only needs between 500 to 800 milligrams of salt per day. We're talking about need here. We're not talking about limitations like you'll see on the standard American diet of, of uh, 22, 2300 milligrams of salt a day. We're talking about what your body needs to function uh, so that your nerves work right and so that you sweat right. You know, a very small amount of salt, about a third of a teaspoon is all you would need. Now, if you're a heart patient, you're going to take that level teaspoon of salt and um, remove a quarter teaspoon of it to limit your salt to 1,500 milligrams a day. Sadly, if you're a fast food junkie, and I don't judge you with that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people don't feel like cooking anymore. Uh, it's easy to wing through a hamburger place, fast food place, get some chicken, get some biscuits, get some sausage and eggs, you know. And that's that's your business, not mine. But um, I'm going to tell you, if your cardiologist has said no more than 1,500 milligrams of salt a day, one breakfast meal at a fast food joint, and you're done. You're done. And so what are you going to eat for the rest of the day? Well, if you could find food that didn't have some salt in it, or even like my Gatorade Zero, which has 280 milligrams of salt in it, if you could... Even a, a diet soda may have 70 milligrams of salt in it. If I eat it all at breakfast at a fast food joint or a, a breakfast buffet, if, if I ate all the salt I was supposed to get, according to my cardiologist right there in that one meal, then I'm going to have a pretty bland the rest of the day. So I use salt like gold these days, and um, I don't cook with salt. I gently salt and I eat minimally salt my foods after they're cooked because really it's the immediate taste on the food that gives us that salty sensation. So it, it takes very, very little salt to make the food palatable because that food is right on your tongue and, uh, and, and it tastes good because the salt is on the outside of it, not cooked into the center of it, say like if you were boiling a pot of beans or or making a lasagna or or something like that. So uh so the two white things, sugar and salt, talk about those a lot. And uh and to just to have a consciousness about all the sources of salt that are uh that are in processed food products, um I'm gonna say hamburger helper, other things like that, frozen dinners. Uh, lean cuisine, things like that. Normally, pretty doggone high on the salt. If you're on a uh, sodium-restricted diet because your cardiologist said to, one of those lean cuisine meals is probably going to uh, uh, provide you with half of the salt that your cardiologist said is your limit for the day. And then if you step up to other meals, um, you know, uh, uh, frozen beef, turkey, chicken, pot pies, things like that, prepackaged uh, Stouffer's products like lasagnas, spaghettis, macaroni cheese, frozen stuff like that. Uh, chances are that uh, eating a portion of any one of those is going to provide you with at least 25% uh, of your salt needs for the day. And if you're like a lot of people, 
you start eating that stuff and you don't really care what the portion size is. You get seconds. I do. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but I got to know that uh, the mixture of sugar and salt in my diet is uh, is not necessarily good for me. And sometimes when I'm running competitively, uh, anything over a 5K, I will carry glucose packs with me in a form of a gel uh, actually, it's maltodextrin that I will take with me. And, you know, about mid-stride in the race, I will down 25 grams of pure sugar. Uh-huh. Why? What I tell you earlier is the easiest fuel your body can burn through when you're really working out, running hard, you know, what cycling hard, whatever you're going to do. But um, so I'm not afraid of sugar, but I use sugar like uh, a jet uses fuel, you know, uh, I can sit on the runway all day long. I don't need sugar, but if I'm getting ready to go into the wild blue yonder, I need top premium fuel. And sometimes I use uh, maltodextrin when, when racing and I don't race so much anymore because <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, I can do it and I do short bouts and short runs but uh, I'm not doing so much of the long-distance stuff anymore because of injuries and knees and things I really like, like toes that don't hurt. So that's that's the name of that tune. Let's get back to the white stuff briefly and in closing. You, as a person over 60, you, as a person who has pushed 60 aside, you are thinking about what do the coming years bring and what can I do to make sure that I just don't break down with multiple diseases of aging and problems. Uh, what can I do so that I can continue to enjoy the things I do in life from hunting, fishing, going to church, uh, what uh, crafting, yard sales, cruises, uh, international travel, whatever it is you do, and you're thinking about, okay, what can I do? I'm just going to say, be conscious of what you're doing and be conscious of what you're not doing. Be conscious of what you're putting into your body and what's in that food. Eat as many natural uh, uh, whole vegetables and whole grains and lean quality meats as you can. And, uh, and watch the two white things, the salt and the sugar. These are products that won't kill us. But too much of anything is not good for us. So I'm going to speak to you on one last thing about salt. And uh, how do we know when we've gotten too much salt? Have you ever woke up and your fingers look like sausages? I mean, your fingers just look fat, okay? And you're wondering, well, I can't even see the normal folds in my skin on my fingers right now. My fingers look fluffy, you know, or your pants don't fit right. Um, well, review what you ate yesterday. And if yesterday you ate four or five slices of pizza, having a good time with your grandkids, with your family, with your spouse, you know, and, and, uh, or, but look at what you ate yesterday that hypercharged you with salt that makes you retain water and makes you have that swollen appearance. And, uh, you know, so just, you know, you wake up and you're swollen like that. Your feet are swollen. Your fingers are swollen. 
you feel swollen around the midsection, possibility you had too much salt yesterday, maybe yesterday and the day before, and your body's just holding on to water. And uh, I'm going to go back to one of my basic statements from day one on this podcast. Yeah, I like the taste of this Gatorade product I use. One bottle a day is enough for me. And why? Because at my sweatiest, I'm not sweating off an excess of the sodium that's in my body. There you go. So, a little bit in that zero-calorie drink that I use, that's... It's not really doing anything for me until after I've worked out really hard for about an hour and I don't do that anymore. I don't I don't go out and run for two and a half, three hours anymore. I just don't do that. It's not necessary. My job is to preserve this body and budget it with reasonable exercise, eat a healthy diet, eat healthy meats and, uh, you know, eat some eggs, you know. And I, I'll be honest with you, I eat a lot of green stuff these days. I eat a lot of frozen vegetables. And, you know, the things you buy frozen in the store, the peas, beans, broccoli, and carrots and, and uh, cauliflower, things like that, those have no salt added. That's a win right there. That's, that's, that's a win right there. But things like cheese, things like peanut butter, things like breads, things like pizzas, uh, quick foods, frozen uh, even diet meals, loaded with salt. And it's hard to find uh, sweet treats that don't have a lot of sugar in them. But, uh, you know, they've got some uh, ice creams here in town now that, um, and they're probably all over the country, I don't know. But uh, one's called Halo Top, and the other one's called Rebel. And uh, it's a high-fat ice cream. But guess what? It doesn't have any sugar in it, and it doesn't jack my sugar up. Uh, is it a healthy choice? Eh, maybe it's a better choice. But you, my friend, as you wind your way down this highway of senior living, you, you got to fight for you. You know, you've, you've got to think about things like when you don't want to do exercise or you just want to sleep in every day or you just don't want to do physical stuff. You've got to think about not this week, but, you know, five years out. You know, because in five years from now, you're going to wish that you had done some form of exercise. And I don't care if it's treadmill, rowing machine, stationary bike, going for long walks in your neighborhood or the state park or or wherever you can go. You're going to wish five years from now that you'd stayed active. And if you're not a heart patient, you don't want to get to the stage where the cardiologist has to tell you you're on a salt-restricted diet. And uh, so those are things to think about. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following the podcast. Thank you for sharing the podcast. I don't know why, but the last uh, couple of podcasts, we've had an uptick in listeners. I'm very thankful for the number of people around the world that listen to the podcast. I hope most of all, it makes sense. And uh, I try not to contradict science at any point. I try. I tell you my personal opinions, and, and I will tell you when I'm telling you one, this is my opinion, like I did about the lady with the possible minor stroke. That's, a, that's my opinion, you know, and that's what podcasts are, their uh, opinions. But I try to give you factual information that helps you have a consciousness about 
your health and what you can do to ensure that the years ahead, the years ahead are really quality years for you because retirement is the time to reap the rewards of all those years you were in the workforce. And now you've got a little extra time on your hands. You want to be able to enjoy the time. And as I'm closing this thing out, I'm going to say one of my biggest fears personally is ending up in assisted living or a nursing home before I'm very, very old. And I won't consider myself very, very old until I'm kicking 95. You hear me? 95, they need to put me in a home. Yeah, that's it's probably good for me. But between now and then, I'm going to fight uh, in many ways to make sure that I stay healthy, that my brain stays sharp, that my reflexes are good, and that I don't fall down. Until next podcast, we'll catch you later and have a great week.